You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with hosts Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 428 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I am Stephen Seagraves, joined today by Mr. Fosma Moon. How you doing? Not too bad. Good morning. Uh, Seth is gallivanting around Venice today, I'm sure. He might be taking a nap by now. He his, probably is. His afternoon siesta before continuing on. So, well, and he didn't get much sleep on this flight over. <laughs> uh, it was bumpy, right? Like, I mean, they had like 180 mile an hour tailwinds. It was, it was bumpy and it was short. Yeah, yeah. He did Dulles to, what was it, Dulles to... To Brussels. Uh, Brussels, yeah. That is a short flight to begin with. So, yes. um, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. We'll have to wait for him to come on the show and tell us about it. But uh, it was, I don't think he enjoyed the experience. <laughs> no. no. Um, he's in Venice you're, now. What's that? He's in Venice now, so he's having a good time. Exactly. Uh, and you're on the West Coast with me this week. Well, you're not with me, but we're both on the West Coast, so timing-wise this worked. Yes. No weird time zone challenges today. No time zone math this week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and... I just wanted to do a quick follow-up on something we talked about last week. So Seth and I talked about, while you were gone, Foz, we talked about um, Air France and KLM uh, charging for seats um, in business class. So you make a business class reservation, you pay $10,000 for your ticket, and then you're charged another $200 to book a seat. Um, And we got some feedback, and uh, Kevin – I don't know, Kevin, if you want me to use your last name, so I'm just going to use your first name. Uh, replied to me on Twitter and says, you know, it's it's the point of charging for, for those business class seats isn't revenue. It's keeping more seats free for your own elites who book later. Um, and he actually likes BA's policy for this reason. Um, and I get that. Like, I get what he's saying. Is it, is it the right thing to do, though? No, because the airlines could just block seats to hold for leads. And this is like one of the things that, and it shouldn't just be in business class, right? I, I, I'm i a big fan of this. Like, as an elite, you get penalized for a last minute booking. Yeah. And I'm a, I am I would love to see all the airlines hold seats till the end, mm-hmm. right? Because if it's really about holding seats, then why even charge? Yeah. You could just, you could just hold the seats and then open them up, right? Exactly. You know, exactly. At, at 24 hours out or whatever. Right, it is a money grab. It is a it's an absolute money grab because if it wasn't a money grab, if it was really about saving seats for elites, they would just save seats for elites, right? Yeah, yeah. Like eons ago, pre-merger United used to do that automatically. Like you would book a seat, uh, in at least in coach, and it would block the seat next to you automatically. Oh, the good old days. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. You could you could get like a whole like if you you and a partner were flying in uh you know coach on an exit row say you could get like a whole row to yourself because exactly yeah oh the good old days <laughs> yeah. look if apollo could do that any of the other current gds's and pss's could do that at this point but they just choose not to yeah i mean i think i think kevin's point is more like well they're not charging elite so it's okay and i i mean that i think it's good that they're not charging elites i think it would be super ridiculous if they did um but at the same time I think the problem is simply solved by what you suggested, which is just block the seats. And then if you're an elite, you get access to them. And yeah. that's, that seems fair. Um, and if you're, if you're, if you book late as a non-elite uh, and there's no seats on the seat map, uh, you wait until 24 hours and you get a seat then. So, well, 
Yeah, and like to your point, right? Like you are nickel and diming the customers. If you're there paying five, six, ten thousand dollars for a ticket, and you're going to charge them a hundred dollars for a seat assignment or two hundred dollars for a seat assignment, that is nickel and diming on that expensive of a ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see what Kevin says when he replies. Um, <laughs> uh, I, on this topic, right? I booked a premium economy ticket on BA for for work. And um, I'm going to Lisbon, and it's interesting. One, I was able to select seats on all the segments, which I thought was interesting for free. I, th- I didn't think that was possible. I guess I was wrong. Is your Alaska number there? Yeah, but I'm not an elite. I'm a ruby or whatever, one world ruby. So I'm, That might be enough. Oh, okay. Maybe that's what it is. Uh, so I was able to select seats, which is great. Um, and I called BA today because... I can book a Avios reward on the outbound and I, I would love to have a bed to sleep in on the Portland to London flight. And, uh, they want 30,000 Avios for it, which I don't think is terrible. No, um, that's not horrible. It's a little high for me. Like going from premium economy to business, it seems like eh, it should be a little lower, but I'm fine with it. Um, the amount one, one, a couple of experiences with BA one, their call in, system is very strange like you don't call the booking line to do obvious stuff you call executive club um which i find just kind of weird that's what it always used to be is it i don't know i've never called ba before no no no. like even on the all the other airlines upgrades were always done not by reservations but by the um, uh i got you mileage program yeah yeah I mean, it makes sense. Um, the other part, though, was I called and I said, look, what would it cost to just pay, do a paid? Is there any paid upgrades available? Um, and and right off the bat, the guy said, well, look, this is a, you know, it's a TA booking. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do anything with it. Um, he's like, but I, I'll try. And he said, because of that, like, I can't, because of the way the fare is built, I can't do the outbound separately than the than the return. So uh, he's he's got, I had a price it as a, you know, round trip up fare. And I was like, wait a second. Is he trying to like, is he trying to pay the fare difference? Which is what I think he was trying to do. Right. Um, and then he comes back and he goes, I can't do it with, with, uh, with a TA ticket. You have to fly the first segment and then, um, so once, see what they it, once they take ownership of the ticket, then they can change it. Yeah. So I think I need to call back and see if I can do the paid. Cause I know that the BA offers paid upgrades. But I believe it's within 24 hours. Um, well, some people are saying 24 hours, and other people are saying you can do it. They randomly do it before the flight, too. Like, you can – if there's space, they'll sell it to you. Um, so what, I asked the guy. I was like, well, when I check in, am I going to be able to to upgrade then? Like, do you think it will offer me – will it even offer me an upgrade because that's a TA ticket? And he's like, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. It, this This stuff drives me nuts. Like this, it shouldn't be this complicated, right? <laughs> or am I crazy? Uh, I mean, the problem is, right? The challenge is nobody knows how this stuff works. Yeah. And because nobody understands how this stuff works, nobody can give you a clear answer. Yeah. Right. And I, I had, I had a very interesting conversation with United this week and we can definitely talk about it if we need to. Yep. But it was, it was just like, you know, they're all too often customers know the policies better than the employees, but the employees aren't willing to listen. 
and they just want to tell you this is the way it is. Yeah, exactly. And so it is really just interesting. But it, like, what do you do? You're at the mercy, right? Like, I had an issue where I knew the policy very candidly, very uh, succinctly, excuse me. And the airport fought me and then documented my record. So when I called in to customer care, they're like, you're wrong. And I later, I I later did find, have another employee confirm that I was right. So now I need to go back and say, you need to go check this, this, and this. Um, But it it is fascinating. Like, and the problem is, right, these, like the agent I was talking to was like, I've been here for 37 years. This has never been the case. I'm like, yes, it has. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, what do you do? Right. And the technology aspect, it makes it even worse. Right. Because technology behaves, does not, as we know, airline technology does not behave consistently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and these, you know, the revenue upgrades, right? These buy, uh, the these buying up of into a premium cabin. Even fewer people know about this, right? We we saw this years ago when Continental first started doing it, right? Nobody knew how to cal- calculate the math, and it's unclear that anyone still knows how it calculates the math <laughs> of the fare difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's it's un you know people are trying to tell you one thing and then they they document the record they're right. they're wrong uh, they document the record and then that's the line that's held the entire time yeah until you can get get around them and have someone go wait this doesn't make sense mm-hmm. but you know that's an uphill battle that we've all fought at one point or another yeah um. So, I mean, just a general question for you, because you've flown BA more than me. If I fly business class, I won't have any problem getting into a lounge there to take a shower, will I? No. In no. London? Even no, on a connecting coach ticket? No, you should be fine, because you flew in on a premium cabin. Yeah. So, I mean, um, the, the, the regular lounge has your... Ooh, that's a good one. I think it should be fine. I think so. I think I would have access to like the Ruby or the uh, not the, Ruby, the uh, galleries, whatever yeah, they're the, the, the regular lounge. Yeah. So in T five, you would need to go to this if you're assuming you're flying a T five, right? You want to go to the south one because okay. I think the showers are all in the south. I don't think the north one has showers because the showers are part of the spa. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the challenge from the last time I flew through there, right? You might not be able to get a shower because there's a wait list. I've got like four hours, so. Yeah, here's the thing. They don't let you just sign up for the wait list. <laughs> what? You basically, like, this was, it drove me crazy. Like, there was no way to say, I need a shower, put me on the list. No, because they used to give you pagers. No, no. Now you have to scan the QR code and just keep hitting refresh until it says, there's a, the, until it lets you put yourself on the list. Oh, you, like, scan a QR code at the check-in and then uh like for the shower and then it, you refresh on your on your mobile to to get access yeah basically you sit there in the lounge right cuz it's the same um, code like if you were to sit down and order a meal or something uh, but the uh, or, right you just scan that and um then you can go in there and request a shower and i remember i don't remember i'm like it was a few weeks ago and i'm a little blurry but i remember i was having to sit there and keep having to refresh to see is a shower available let me go sign up <laughs> well, because I, I I get it. I think the Portland flight kind of lands around the same time as like Vancouver and Seattle, so like okay. I think I think it's a decent. I have a decent chance of getting a shower because it's later in the day. Like the flight leaves here at like seven thirty, and it's been leaving forty five minutes delayed every day. Um, so maybe 
maybe I'll get lucky um, and there won't be anybody there. <laughs> but who knows? So we'll see. We'll find out in a week. I'll tell you in a week. Okay. Um, all right. So I want to talk about a friend of mine. Um, his parents, great credit. Uh, talk a little bit about credit cards. Uh, parents have great credit. He's been looking at credit cards for them. Uh, what's best for them. And, you know, they're going to be traveling a little bit more now. They have a, some grandchildren. They want to be flying and, and they're based uh, in Atlanta. So we were talking about what, what would be best for them. Um, and they care mostly about uh, nonstop. Like that's, that's their goal is where can we get nonstop? So it's like, well, you're going to, you're going to go with Delta. Like that's out of Atlanta, Delta. Um, so I said, why don't you do the Delta Amex? And he said, I, I like that idea because I can get bags for free and they do like to check bags and they can get some bonus points out of it. I'm like, yeah, it's good. Um, and he says, but I'm also going to do this, the Chase Sapphire Reserve. Okay. Um, and that way they can they can kind of they can kind of mix up their spend. And if we don't like the Amex after a year, we can get rid of it. And I was like, that's that's a good idea. So his parents applied for the, the Chase Sapphire Reserve, got approved instantly, um, and then applied for the Delta Amex like I don't know, forty five minutes later, and were first denied, and then given another offer of lower mileage, like lower bonus points, sign up bonus. And my friend's like, what gives with that? And I want to know your thoughts, and I'll, I'll give my thoughts, but I want to know what you think. Hmm. They So they applied, they got denied, and then how did they get the offer for lower mileage? I think they reapplied again because they, the, they thought the message was maybe a mistake. Um, like the denial was a mistake because, again, their credit's really good. Um, yeah, so it said uh, they need additional time for processing. Okay. Um, and then it would be not- they would be notified within mail within two weeks. Um, so they, at first they went to apply for the Delta Platinum and it had seventy five thousand miles plus ten thousand MQM offer. Uh, they were told they were they weren't eligible, and okay. then it got bumped down to just fifty thousand miles. And then they went to submit again and they weren't told they were told they weren't eligible. Um, uh, and then my friend did it um, and told was told it needs more history. Um, and they have great credit, and they have a solid history with Amex. They've done, they've had an Amex card for forever. Um, so it's just interesting. Like, what do you think happened? Well, how many Amex cards do they have? I think just one. Okay. Uh, I mean, it could be any number of things, right? Something could. I think the first mistake they made was reapplying. The thing to do is, if you even if you get a denial, uh, pick up the phone, call the reconsideration line, mm. and let them tell you what the actual issue is. Gotcha. Like if it's too much of a, a balance outstanding or there's some other thing with the credit, it's – Because the thing interesting about Amex is, right, Amex does not pull a credit report when you apply for a card generator if you are an existing customer. Gotcha. They use their they use their own internal metrics. So if you have a history with Amex, you can apply for cards without a hit on your credit report. Gotcha. Do you think that they their history with Amex maybe is too clean and Amex doesn't see them as a money making venture? I can't imagine that being a reason. Yeah, like, I can't imagine like someone having too clean of a history. But if they, you know, if there's something that set a flag off or some, or you know, sometimes it could also be just as simple as mistaken identity, oh, or okay. a mistaken identity, or needing to verify identity. Gotcha. So call that reconsideration line just to see yeah. what's going on. Yeah. I, I thought, I mean, and now that your explanation of Amex, it makes more sense. I thought um, Amex was going to say, well, I thought the issue might have been we, um, you, you applied for the CSR, it did a hard hit on your credit, 
and it, it immediately dinged Amex. Like Amex said, you've got too many hard hits. But it sounds like that's not really what happens. Yeah, I mean, it's possible they pulled a credit report, right? It depends on the history. Uh, mm-hmm. I know the last couple of times I've applied for an Amex card does not hit my credit report. Now, it also, and you know, a hard inquiry is only a few points. It's not a major number of points on your score. Yeah, but can't they see the number of inquiries recently? Yeah, but if they just applied for the chase, right? Unless they did a bunch of other inquiries. Yeah, that's true. Right? That's if they true. just applied for one card, that shouldn't have too much of an impact on the score overall. Yeah, I just thought it, I thought it was weird, and so I wanted to talk about it here because it, it does seem strange. Because I know people who churn cards and they would apply for multiple cards in the same day, and not have a problem. So, well, the reason to do that is because the, if you, it's a whole game, right? So. Say you apply to uh, apply for an Amex card and they use, say, Equifax, and then you apply for a Chase card and they use TransUnion, and you apply for, say, a City card and they use whatever the third one is right now, Experian. Yep. If you do it all on the same day, those three inquiries will not know about the other one because it's all on the same day. Gotcha. They're not. They're generally not fast enough to propagate beyond their own system to the other sister systems. I, I yeah, I'm glad I don't turn cards. It seems like a lot of work. <laughs> it is a lot of card. It is a lot of work, and I don't think the oh, reward is there like it used to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doing doing the sign up bonuses and everything is just not as good as it used to be for sure. Unless you're the one shilling the cards, then it's rewarding. <laughs> All right, let's talk about some news. Uh, SeaTac. Uh, this is. Interesting to me. So there's been a report now in the Seattle Times about um, uh, a screw-up in the new international terminal and having some limited capacity. Um, so they're saying that the, the gates were built to um, handle 20, I think it's 20 jets, and yes. they can only handle 16 at this point. Excuse me, wide bodies. Wide body no, jets. Yeah, not, um, just, not just jets, but wide bodies. And they, they, when they did the fit checks for the airplanes, they found that four gates, A6, A8, S4, and S6, couldn't accommodate the, the large wide-body jets that they were supposed to. Um, and it's, I mean, they spent a lot of money on this terminal. It's, it's what, well, $6 I mean, million? Oh, no, no. It started at $330 million and it ended up being almost a billion, like $980 million. Like, well, they didn't. Kind of, they didn't add gates, right? Like that's the thing. I don't know. I, I I don't know Seattle well enough, right? I've only flown through Seattle once in probably five years at this point, so I can't definitely say I know they built that massive air bridge, so yep. people go up up now to, into the A up here. So and I and they made the A gates international gates, uh, but I don't know to what other work they did, but. They spent close to a billion dollars, and they're, they have a 20% reduction from what they were expecting in throughput on wide bodies. And so this, I guess this is causing them problems because they're, they were expecting much more. Like, we know how constrained Seattle is for international gates to begin with. Yeah. And the 20% is a sizable amount. Yeah, being able to fit four more planes is huge for them, um, especially at the peak hours, right? Like, you've got... Uh, anything at like one o'clock in Seattle is extremely busy with some of the inbound European stuff, some of the Asian stuff coming in. Um, you've got, you know, uh, 
nothing really from Latin America, but really Europe, Europe and, and Asia. So, oh, and in the Middle East, right? You've got Emirates and Qatar coming in uh, at the same time. So it's, uh, it's causing, it's definitely causing some problems. And I, I don't think that they actually did anything physically to the gates because the S gates, which is the remote South terminal, right? They didn't change anything there. It's still the same crowded, uh, cluster that it's been for forever. Um, and so, so oh, go ahead. I'd like a billion dollars to do nothing. Yeah, I mean, they built the air bridge, right? And they built the new the new passenger um, processing area, like the international processing area, right, where where you go through immigration and customs. <laughs> that should not cost a billion dollars, dude. I know, I know, I know. But I'm just saying, like, that's that's what was done. I don't see any. I mean, I've been through SeaTac a few times now, and I've been down to the S gates where the international flights leave. Um, and I, to me, it looks like the same old SeaTac that it's been for forever. Maybe the A gates have changed a little bit um, because of the, you know, the way it's expanded and the way that they had to kind of move things around. But I, it doesn't. It's not. They didn't add gates. So. Well, that, that's the peculiar thing, right? When I saw you a few weeks ago, my flight to Portland actually flew out of the South Gates, which I was surprised about that Alaska was doing a departure out of the South Gates. Well, it's probably because probably because the plane came from like Cabo or something, which is definitely possible. I was just I was still a little surprised, but I'm like, fine, no big deal. But getting like I was expecting, you know, after all this work, something different, and there was nothing different. It looked like the same, yeah, crap hole it used to be. And and it, you know, take the two trains, right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a mess. Like SeaTac is an absolute mess, in my opinion. I don't know how people put up with it week in and week out. Um, it would drive me bonkers to to deal with it. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know um, what they did, but this is the, it's definitely. I mean, a lot of people are talking about it. I think there's a lot of like uproar about it. Uh, the 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 airport, the Port Authority uh, in Seattle is suing um, the the construction company because of this um i don't know how i feel i mean i get it but at the same time it's like were, were you guys not paying attention when all this was being done like, i don't understand did you just you just let them kind of go and do their thing and uh you showed up at the end and go oh this doesn't work <laughs> i mean allegedly from what i was reading right the airport says they called out for each of the gates what the largest plane that gate should be able to handle mm-hmm and the construction company says we were just told every gate needs to be able to handle a narrow body. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, and it's like, well, that I mean, one of those two parties is probably incorrect in what they're saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what Seattle's get what their what their fix for this is going to be. Are they going to close more of the uh, A gates and make them international, uh, and kind of like make them so they can have international rivals? I don't know how you do that at this point. I think it's a little late in the game um, to try that, but maybe maybe they can come up with something. They can build um, a remote terminal in Tacoma. <laughs> uh, I don't actually know. I. Th- I think if you're at the A gates, you come in and then you go downstairs just like you do at the S gates. So like you, when you park at an international, at an international, from an international flight, you kind of go downstairs under underground and then get popped up inside of the uh, immigration area, I think. 
Um, so I don't know what they would do. They would have to. They're gonna have to do something though. Maybe they'll bust people like they do at Portland. <laughs> like you know, on the public side, right, it'd be really freaking nice if we could go back to these institutions and say, "Give us our money back." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like you guys screwed up, right? You guys are completely mismanaging. Like, this is a mismanagement of a billion dollars. And I, and I love like the Seattle Times did an article, and they're like, "No taxpayer money went to this." And like, push it. Right, yeah. like they, they used a bunch of the pandemic money, and that's where a bunch of that billion dollars came from. Yeah, because they only budgeted three hundred something million originally. I, th- I mean, I think it's kind of typical of uh, public public projects lately. And I don't, I don't, I, I like infrastructure projects. I think they're good, and we need them. But the management of them is not great. Well, yeah, I mean, wasn't it uh, at JFK like last week? They had to stop construction. Oh yeah, those, uh, those workers were killed, right? Yeah, they're uh, in T seven, I think. Two, something collapsed. Like they were working on an active building, and the, there were two workers who were rerouting utilities or something, and something collapsed, and they got crushed. Yeah, it was a. They were they were in a um, like a uh, dugout, like a trench, and yeah. the trench collapsed. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, which is awful, and it's like, well, why is why why are these things happening? And uh. I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's the management of those those construction companies. Is are the cities and the port authorities cut out to manage these types of projects? Um, and do they no. need they need help? They basically need help to do it. I mean, the, look, the the port authorities and the, more so the port authorities than the cities, because I think some of the city run airports are run a little more efficiently. But the port authorities are just there for the grift, from what I can tell. Right. Mm-hmm. The, these guys are more about self-serving rather than serving the public. Like, take the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, right? They've been raking in money all these years. They've invested no money in the facilities until the last five years. Yeah. Right? And that was because, that was because people complained. Yeah. And so you have to wonder, like, where, where, where is this money going, right? In the case of New, uh, Port Authority of New York and New Jersey, they dumped a bunch of money into one World Trade Center, right? And then they couldn't even fill it. It's like, was that a good use of money? Yep. Right, we yeah. were really there stroking someone's ego more than anything else. Hmm. And I wonder, with all the money we're dumping into airports as the economy is contracting, is this the right place to be dumping money right now? Yeah, well, it's a it's a good question. It's a fair question. Um, I mean, I think we've seen some good projects, right, like Kansas City uh, being put into one terminal and having a single. You know, they've made it to where they've streamlined the Kansas City experience. And I think that's that was the right move for them because that airport had aged well beyond its years. Um, right. So, but, uh, that, but again, that was neglect, right? Like, think of that building was built in what the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah. Right. And that was it. They, they never invested anything into it. Yeah. Well, and 9 11 kind of uh, immediately made it obsolete, right? Like, it was, it was built and then. 9/11 happened and everyone had to go through security and I think it was before 9/11 though right security happened before 9/11 Oh that's true yeah good point um so I mean they they, they had the implementation I think that was the thing it was, it was an implementation of a security rule where everyone had to go through security and that that basically killed the concept that they were going for Yeah cuz um, they they wanted to roll out of your car like DFW you can see this at like internally at DFW the distance from the gates to the curb is actually minimal Yep yep and Kansas City was ba- was the preliminary design for that uh, approach, right? DFW was based on the Kansas City design. Yep. Yep. So. Um, 
let's talk about uh, Dubai. There's a bunch of stuff going on. So Dubai is trying to kick the tires on DWC, which is Dubai World Central Airport, um, the kind of the secondary airport uh, in Dubai. Um, and they are um, they were going to do an expansion. I think uh, it was going to start. It was going to be done um, 2017, and then there was the financial crisis, and they said we'll do it in 2027. It'll be done, um, and then all that expansion was frozen uh, in 2019, um, and then. COVID happened, um, and now they are saying that the they want to invest uh, 33 billion in DWC, um, and they want to be able to handle 130 million passengers annually by 2030, which is insane. Yeah, but if you've got the land and you've got the space to do it, it's possible. Yeah, yeah. I mean, do you think do you think Emirates is pushing this? I mean, Emirates would need to relocate, right? They couldn't have a split operation to achieve this. Yeah. Um, and the current airport is somewhat landlocked. Yep. Given everything around it. So, I mean, it, it could be Emirates pushing it. It might, it might be the Dubai government pushing it, seeing what's on the horizon. Right? You've got the massive Istanbul airport. You've got uh, Hamad in Doha. Much yep. larger, right? Much, much more uh, potential to be larger Yep. than Dubai is. Yeah, I mean, I could see, you know, as, I mean, Emirates is probably going to dump the A380s at some point in the future. Probably not immediately, but, you know, in 10, 15 years. Um, and they're going to need planes to replace those, and they're probably going to need more planes to replace those A380s because their Airbus isn't making them. Um, so they're going to need more planes to carry the same number of passengers or more passengers. So you're going to need more gates. Um, I could, I mean, from that perspective, I see this as being, it's a necessity rather than a, uh, a nice to have. Because um, Dubai, the current Dubai airport's not going to handle that. But do you do you really need more gates, right? And I'm going to play devil's advocate here, right? If, think of the mid- large portion of the traffic going through Dubai is connecting traffic, yeah, right. If you just increase the number of frequencies and increase at a bank or two, do you really need more gates, right? You're just better utilizing those ba- those gates. I think the reason you may need more gates is because a lot of your banks have to operate in the night, right? Like you can't operate some of these flights in the in the daytime because of heat. Oh, okay, that's a fair point. Like you're you're forced you're forced to like they have to either depart in the morning or they have to depart late at night, and so you're kind of limited by that. That's the only thing I can think of needing more gates. But like you could, if I remember correctly, most of those flights back to the States leave in, in the evening, right? You could have yeah. like a 4 or 5 a.m. departure. You could. Yeah, for sure. Right. And bring in connecting traffic for that 4 or 5 a.m. departure. That's where I think it gets a little more difficult because if you're like connecting to the India, right, and you're, mm-hmm. those Indian flights are coming in, it's pretty mixed right now. Like Bangalore on an A380, I think, leaves uh, in the middle of the morning, like 10 a.m. to get to, to Dubai. Um, which is kind of a weird time. And I think they have another flight to Bangalore that leaves at like 2 a.m. That one would work because you're going kind of, you're going backwards right. in time. Um, but I don't, I don't know that the A380 would work, which is where you're carrying most of your passengers. Yeah. But I mean, presume, we're thinking past A380s, right? Yeah. The economics of the A380s they, they, is a little different than anything else that would replace them at this point. Yeah. Right. So if you as you as those three eighties go away and they have to increase frequencies, they could add another bank. Right. They could have a 
uh, Bangalore flight leave in the afternoon to connect to an early evening flight out of true Dubai. True. Yeah, I mean, do you think too that, that part of this is just the aging of the Dubai airport? Like, right? It's not modern. It's not Istanbul. It's it's kind of it's weathered now, right? I mean, it's it's not the most lovely airport, um, but it's convenient. It is compared to Dubai World Center, yes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it's this is the age old argument, right? Do you build a new airport and take away the convenience? Or, or do you leave the old airport? You know, the locals more often than not say leave the old airport. Yeah, I would rather fly out of the one that's close to me. Yeah. 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 I mean, it makes sense. Um, trying to think if there's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking on a map here. I mean, your other options are Abu Dhabi, right? Um, uh, it's the other airport, and that's not close either. Um, no. So, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. It's a tough call. Yeah. I mean, it's not that far, but... Um... It's you know two hour bus ride between the two, I think, right? Yeah, it's around that. Yep. So it's probably an hour from DWC. Yep. So you're cutting that that travel time in half with DWC, basically. Right, unless the intent is to also take away the Abu Dhabi airport. Do you think they would do that though? It's possible. Anything's possible. That I mean, that would kind of screw Etihad, right? I mean, it would and it wouldn't, right? It's like. Etihad is connecting. The bulk of the traffic on Etihad is also connecting. Yeah. So it doesn't matter where it connects. They could just they could just do it and and fly out of DWC if they if they wanted. Yeah. And then, and then I also wonder, right? Like, is some of this is the resurrection of DWC be, because of what's happening in Saudi Arabia? Mm. And trying to make connect you know connect passengers everywhere. And... Yep. Yeah, yeah. And on top of this, right? Let's talk about that. Um, Dubai uh, and Canada, uh, I guess uh, the Emirates and Canada, um, have agreed to more flights uh, to between both countries. Um, and immediately, uh, Emirates has said, we're adding daily flights, I believe, to um, uh, Toronto, is it? Toronto, yeah, because I think it's, I believe it's five uh, weekly right now, so they're going to seven uh, weekly, so one a day. Um and it's like within two weeks that they're adding these. Yeah, and that's so. I mean, it's it's the bilateral agreement basically has has been agreed upon, and so I think um, currently it's like seven times on Air Canada weekly between Toronto and Dubai. Emirates is five times weekly between Toronto and Dubai, and Etihad is six times weekly between Abu Dhabi and Toronto. Um, so I mean, I think I think what we're going to immediately see is the the Emirates flight to Toronto going to daily, um, and then. Um, you could also see Emirates adding something to maybe Montreal and Vancouver or even uh, Etihad doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. The qu- question is, what do they add next? I mean, I imagine they go for Vancouver before Montreal, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I think the from the West Coast, I think it definitely helps. And they have – doesn't Emirates have an agreement with uh, Air Canada? They do. Yeah. So that could help them, right? Like if they're – if they fly into Vancouver and connecting, you know, Winnipeg and West, the West Edmonton and the Western side of the country, um, would be, would be nice. Well, I mean, I guess the question is, would you go from Edmonton or Winnipeg to Vancouver to go back East? Uh, that's a good question. I think it depends on timings, right? Like when can you actually get from Edmonton to Toronto in time to connect to the Emirates flight? 
I'm sure you can. There's, have you seen how many domestic flights Air Canada runs? Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, it could, it could be. But you also have all the Air Canada flights to like Kelowna, to to all like you know Victoria, every everywhere that's like much right, much further the, west, the more right. remote place. So, but the question, like, here's the thing about an Emirates, either an Emirates or an Abu Dhabi flight from mm-hmm. Vancouver. Where do you go beyond Dubai or Abu Dhabi that isn't more efficient to go west? I mean, it's a question that people ask me all the time. Is like, why did you go through Singapore to go to India? I was like, well, because it's the same either way, and I could avoid Frankfurt. Uh, <laughs> like, if I'm going to spend 24 hours flying, I'd rather fly on Singapore and spend my connection time in Singapore than fly to Frankfurt and hang out in the Z gates for fun. Yeah. Um, right now with the Russian embargo, right, in the, the India patch makes sense to go through the Middle East, but beyond that. Australia doesn't make sense. Southeast Asia. Maybe, maybe, maybe Africa. Okay. I think Africa is like probably the one place, like all of Africa, I think covering it, unless you're willing to fly United or Ethiopian um, to connect in like Addis or something. Um, and I think it would also depend where you're going because it, Air Canada has flights to what, Morocco, Egypt, and yeah, they have. Back. Yeah, they have Marrakesh, or is it Casablanca? Maybe Casablanca. Maybe? Yeah, from Montreal, and then Cairo from Toronto, I think. No, Cairo is Montreal. Egypt Air does Toronto. Oh, okay. Um, and then they, I think they have Tel Aviv as well, don't they? They do, but there's somewhere else. They I can't remember. There's a third spot in Africa they fly to. Hmm. Uh, is it Algeria? It Might could be because it's French speaking. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, where else would you go? Yeah, I mean, South, South, Southern Africa, the southern half of Africa. Um, yeah, but to go to Andy. Dubai, Abu Dhabi, to go to Cape Town or Joburg is. Are you going to so, complain about? Are you going to complain about going out of the way? For most people, most people it's not practical. <laughs> I know. I'm just giving you crap. Uh, yeah, I mean, I get what you're saying. It's just, it's weird. It is weird, for sure. So, um, let's talk about Amsterdam. So a court has blocked uh, their green cap. So they were uh, back in June of 2022. They the government announced plans to basically reduce the number of total flights allowed at Schiphol. Yep. Um, and I think it's like it was something like half a million flights per year. And they wanted to bring it down to like 450, 440 thousand a year. Um, and it was supposed to take effect later this year. Uh, and there was a district court. Uh, in, for North Holland, and it has sided with the airlines, which was KLM, I think Delta, and EasyJet all took this to court, um, and that the government didn't use the right procedures and has stopped uh, the the decision to be, you know, carried out. Yeah, they basically, the, if I remember correctly, the court basically said they didn't consult with the airlines. They're supposed to consult with the airlines. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be interesting how this plays out because I don't think they're done fighting this. I think this is more of a stay than a, a victory. Yeah, I mean, I think I could see the the government saying, "Look, this has got to happen," and and going back and having the discussions they need to with the airlines, and then saying, "Okay, we did everything right," and then moving this through. I, I could see that happening. I, there's a very easy way to do this as a government: you you start closing concourses <laughs> under construction for forever. Yep, like literally, right. You can't let, like, sure, we can, you can land, but there won't be a gate for you. Mm-hmm. 
right? And that's completely within their control. Yeah, that'd be that'd be rough. <laughs> oh well, man! You know, if you're gonna play, like this is the game, right? The airlines push back, and now if the government really wants to do this, they'll find a way to do it. Yep. Yep. Um, and then lastly, before we get to the bonus topics, so the bonus topics, there's a, there's a couple. Um, we're going to talk about an, an AA passenger getting kicked off uh, a flight and then uh, Norse uh, for getting immigration at JFK. But before that, what happened at Newark recently that uh, got you a little excited, I think? The iPads are finally gone. From OTG? From all the OTG establishments. So there's someone taking orders now or what's happening? I, I haven't gotten that far. Is that would require me to use the OTG establishments? Which I don't. <laughs> but, but when you walk through the terminal, all the iPads are gone. Oh, really? Yeah. I I wonder how that's going to... I mean, I I didn't like the iPads. I always got my order was screwed up or things were wrong or whatever. Um, that wasn't the iPad. That was the people. Well, yeah, true. <laughs> um, but I never enjoyed going up to an iPad and then like, oh, tip us. Okay for what don't you get paid I, you know <laughs> well, it's so it's funny right so if you if we go back in the wayback machine when otg was introduced at least from the united perspective a a common friend of ours that worked for united at the time was like well this is good because service will get better and the food will get better and that never really came to fruition no the food so, was i think it was food was way worse the food was much way worse, and the, the service was worse. The only thing that changed was the prices went up 20, 30, 40%. <laughs> and, you know, the airlines love this because it's a revenue share agreement. So they get, like, those, sure, they don't mind your, them raising the prices because they get a kickback from all the, some percentage of all the transactions. Yep. But that same person in a recent conversation was like, oh, good, they're finally, like, going away. Because, you know, it, it was just been an abysmal experience. So it was just interesting that all these years later, he finally admitted that, uh, it yeah, that great. it wasn't great. <laughs> right? yeah. Like, and the, like, OTG is just like, I really, like, I have candidly haven't used them in probably over a year, but I remember like two, three years ago, it used to be like they would want you to order first and then they'd give you your food. Then it became that with no documentation, like, oh no, you, you, you can't order first you need to pay first yeah then it became like and literally i remember one time like you would order something and the woman like they would take the order you would pay for the order then like oh yeah we don't have that and you're like so you just took my money can you refund it oh i gotta get a manager they're not working right now and by the way like when i mean they didn't have it i mean things like fries (laughs) oh yeah oh yeah i saw that plenty yeah especially over in like uh e like over at the far whatever those the 120 gates Yep. The, there was a burger spot over there. Uh, they would run out of stuff all the time. Um, I've, I've, yeah, I found it. I found it really just not. It was off-putting to the point where I'm just like, I'll go get a snack from uh, one of the little Hudson News. Which then again, you have to pay yourself. You have to do everything, check it out yourself, everything. Um, and half the time it doesn't work, and then you have to have an employee come over and do it for you anyway. Um, so it was just, it's yeah. Anyway, it's not fun. Yeah, if I need to get food at Newark, I, I I take the effort to either go to the diner or the Wendy's or the Dunkin' Donuts because I know they're not OTG. <laughs> that Wendy's though, man, that's an experience. You might be there for forty five minutes waiting for your food. That well, but that's anything at Newark. <laughs> but like, I candidly, my like the thing I've really got into at this point, and the, what I encourage people to is 
don't buy food at the airport. Just take it with you. Like, I, I now have a routine where I go to an Italian deli, I get a sandwich before I go to the airport, and then I sit there and eat that. Yeah, that's well, true. I, I much prefer, I mean, on this, even on this BA flight that I have coming up, right, like Portland to London, there's some great food in Portland, like in the airport. I'm like, I'm just going to buy something. I'll eat dinner before I go to the airport, or I'll take something with me from, like, a sandwich shop that I really like, and I'll just eat that. Because yeah. why spend the money? Why spend the money and like you're spending more money on food that's shittier. Yeah, and and can take longer, right? Yeah. So, all right. Anything else you want to talk about? Nah, I think I've rented enough this week. Well, we do have a new Patreon subscriber, uh, Bradley. A thank you for supporting us on Patreon. We we appreciate it. I'm sure there's some more coming in uh, that we just we haven't gotten to yet. So we'll we'll add those later on. Uh, but thanks for listening to the show. And if you want to stick around and get the bonus topics. You can join us on Patreon, uh, or you can check out moredotsmorelines.com on Twitter at dotslines. Leave us a comment. We like, we do like to hear from you all, um, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. Take care. <laughs>